once employees start going outside that shared set of beliefs is when it becomes problematic. And I think that's true for, for every organization. And again, if we haven't as a leadership team done a good enough job of helping the organization understand what those shared set of beliefs are, then that failure of people stepping outside of that is on us. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. So I've been fighting something the last couple of days. So my voice is a bit raspy at the moment. Last week, last week was a trying week, I'll be honest. And then by Sunday night, I was just exhausted. Yeah. And this always happens. Like kind of when I push myself to, to a certain point, you know, I'll come down with something minor or whatever. Well, but, your, your uh, body, your body loses uh, some ability to fight off some minor exactly. colds, right? So, yeah. So it's, 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 it's it, it's interesting because I was chatting with someone on Twitter and they're like, why is it that going into a weekend, I always get sick. And it's like, you sit there and push yourself and push yourself and push yourself. And you're like, I've spent everything I had in your body. It's like, all right, I'm done. Yep. You know, I can't fight this cold. So it's no wonder that that tends to be the timing. Yeah. And yeah, Saturday was just emotionally draining. We had the, the ALS walk in, in Philadelphia. So, you know, a huge thank you to, to everyone who donated with the link that you shared out. Yeah. Um, it was, it was amazingly great and other emotions all at the same time. So yeah, by Sunday night I was just, I was spent. Yeah. And so I woke up Monday fighting, fighting this. So, you know, just another day or so I'll be over it. But yeah, it's like a little raspy at the moment. Yeah. No, I hear you. I'm dragging a bit today too. Got up super early. I think there was a sound or I thought I heard a sound. It's one of those things that's like, you don't know if you dreamt it or you heard it and it crept into your dream, but I heard some kind of sound and I thought, was it some breaking in the house? What's going on? And I was like jacked on adrenaline at like 4.30 this morning (laughs) and I just couldn't calm it down and go back to sleep. So I'm dragging a bit. I'm on my second coffee, which, uh, I, I just um, picked up a cold brewer um, based on John's recommendation. And I made my first batch yesterday. So um, I'm quite impressed with it. Nice. Nice. Yeah. It's, have you ever had a, a cold brew? Oh, I've, I've had tons of cold brews. Okay. Um, never just, made it myself, so I'm actually quite intrigued. Yeah. It was so... So I bought um, a real compact version, the OXO Compact Cold Brewer, um, and it brews about 16 ounces of concentrate, um, which I think is probably enough for five or six drinks. Um, okay. And uh, I let it brew for about 16 hours. Um, and so it's a... Uh, you know, you have to prep ahead of time. It's not something you're going to, you're going to create quickly, but, um, it brews about 16 ounces. It came with a cool little glass jar with a stopper that you just put in the fridge and pull out, you know, three ounces or so when you're ready to, to make a beverage. Um, 
it was super simple. Um, I already had a grinder and so it was super nice. simple to get set up and, and make work. And the, man, the product was so incredibly smooth. Like this is smooth coffee, you know? And it really, um, it, at least with these beans that I picked up, like the fruity kind of profile, but really popped, um, which tends to get, um, overrun a bit if you do something like espresso you tend to get like the darker chocolate kind of notes with with espresso but this like is very like robust fruitiness it's very interesting so anyway doing some cold brew right now nice nice yeah 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 hopefully that puts some uh caffeine into the veins and helps power through the day Anyway, um, I didn't even look at the topic, so I can't even help set up any kind of uh, segue or transition. Um, yeah, no worries. Um, so this came from a Twitter thread from early early October. You, um, you know, you, you had posted about you know a, a business world where you know. Um, autonomy at work is, is becoming the norm, but, you know, going back to what we've learned in school, kind of like, you know, everybody comply and follow along in line. I, you know, I'm, I'm o- overly paraphrasing your, your, you know, your, your initial tweet. And one of the replies you got was, um, how do you strike a balance between bringing creative solutions to the table? without being perceived as a rule breaker. So I'll put a link to, to the thread and, 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 and that reply. So I kind of fleshed out this episode because the last couple episodes we've been talking about the concept of writing for the brand and being loyal and, and whatnot. And when I really thought about this question, it, it's a really great question in that it, um, you know, if you're depending upon the culture of the organization, you could be seen as disloyal or a rule breaker when trying to challenge the norms of, of the organization. You know, so, cause if you think about it, if we, we take it, you know, 30,000 foot view and then really come into the topic, we live in a society where we're trained from, from childhood to, to get in line and, and, and stay there. Um, you know, don't, don't, don't ask questions. Don't, don't question the teacher. This is the way things are done. And then, so that, that kind of, brings it, you know, you, when you bring it forward into your, your, your work life, into your career, you run into those situations where when you question why a company does something, you know, you're met with the get back in line. This is the way we've always done it uh, kind of response. So, and those that challenge that norm and try to bring new ideas, new creative ways of doing things are labeled as rule breakers and, and problems. And there's a bit of, of double speak here when, when you think about it, because a lot of times in the same breath, those companies are that are saying, this is the way we've always done it. This is the way it is. This is our culture. You know, don't, you know, get, get back in line. They are also in a very public way saying, you know, they claim to want to work with people that are creative, um, that, that want to be innovative, but then they're quick to stifle it. Um, so I do want to, you know, initially tackle like, why is that? Why do companies in one vein say, 
you know, we want creative people, we want new ideas, but then when people do bring it up that they're, they're squashed, but then how can someone bring new ideas or creative solutions to the table in a culture like that without risking being branded as, as, as a problem child? Man, there's so many different directions that we can take this. And I, <laughs> that you, you tend to uh, kick off these podcasts and it scrambles my brain. I'm like, oh, I can go all down all these different paths. My six-year-old is raging out. And um, so so let's, let's take it from your question as far as, I think you said something like, why do companies say they want creative thinkers, but then they stifle that, that creativity? Uh, I think it happens for probably two primary reasons. And we see this more in larger organizations, um, primarily because as you scale and grow an organization, it becomes more and more challenging to control the, the, the workforce, right? If you have a team of 10, it's, it's a lot easier to kind of control what the group is doing versus a team of 10,000. And so oftentimes when companies scale, what they end up doing is most of their decisions are based from a place of fear. You know, the, what if, what if our employees do X and it's always, you know, what if they steal from us? What if they take advantage of us? What if they don't work? What if they, you know, all these what ifs of, of negatives. And because of that, they put in a tremendous amount of bureaucracy and red tape and controls to, as we've talked about many times on the podcast, manage to the lowest common denominator. And, and they may say they want, and they really do. I think they really do want creative thinkers, but when you're in a situation where you have to manage to the lowest common denominator, it's hard to do that without putting in a set of very rigid and stringent controls for how that operates. Um, I think the second part of that conversation, which um, isn't a separate notion, I think plays into that is lack of clarity around the values um, of the company. And, and by that, I mean that um, it's hard to give employees autonomy to work within a set of bounds if they're never given the boundaries. And I think that really is a huge part of the problem. Okay, hold on. I got to go tell him to stop reaching out. Okay. <laughs> he's learning keyboarding um, and he's playing a Frogger style game um, to learn the keys. And he, when he gets hit by a uh, truck, you can hear the result. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> it's awesome though for at six to be learning keyboarding. He's gonna be better than than I am. I think uh, when I really focused on it, I topped out at 124 words a minute, my typing speed, which I was nice. quite impressed with myself for. I, I took keyboarding. I think it was junior year of high school as an elective, yeah. and I want to say it was probably the best thing I did in high school. Cause it's a skill I use to this day, yeah. 25 years later. Um, and I would recommend that to anybody taking, cause it was the, it was an electronic typewriter. And we, at, <laughs> at times we actually had the thing covering the keys so we couldn't look down and it was, 
uh, the, the, this older woman, and she would just walk up and down the aisles. I, I think I may have mentioned it before, like an early episode. I think we may be have like, been in the same class. Yeah. <laughs> e space. E space. Capital E space. Yeah. Doing that. And, yeah. but I'll tell you this it's a skill I use to this day oh, yeah. and can actually type without looking at the keyboard. Yeah. So I, it's, it's awesome that he's learning. So, um, and, and combining that with him learning how to spell, um, I'm looking forward to that because, because he plays a lot of games on Roblox and, um, he tries his hardest to search for things based on how he's spelling it. And sometimes he does a good job and sometimes he doesn't. So he's always like, you got to come in here and spell this. So anyway, he's learning a ton. Um, and it's good stuff. So, uh, shifting back to where, where I was, it, it's really hard for employees. And when we say think creatively, um, what we aren't saying is just go do whatever. And I think that that's a big misconception. When we when we want people to be creative, when we want employees to be creative, we're not saying be completely outside the bounds. We're saying, at least what I'm saying, at least from my perspective, what I see the most healthy companies doing is saying, here's how we operate. Here's our morals. Here's our ethics. Within that sphere, you have full autonomy to be creative, to figure out how you want to get to an answer. To, to me, that's where the, the power is. And I think the disconnect is that companies, when they think about creativity or allowing employees that autonomy, think, well, we can't trust them to do that. And, and again, a big part of that is culturally, do we operate out of a place of fear and managerial and leadership perspective? It, it's, it's probably dictating that we haven't done a good enough job of helping our team understand why we're in business. What is our purpose? What, what are our morals? What are our ethics? Because if we had done a good enough job, then we should trust that the people we hire will find solutions and be creative within those boundaries that we've set for them. I, I could take that two different ways. It's either, you know, the company hasn't put thought together on what it means to be creative and innovative within the company and bring new ideas or it's it's a bait and switch. We're telling you during during the the interview process, the the candidate evaluation process, or even just marketing to make ourselves look like a cool place to to work and buy products from. But we're really not that way. For sure, for sure, that happens. Um, you know, I think that probably happens at lots of companies at lots of of levels where there's. There's a sense of window dressing that has to be put out there. Um, for So for sure that's ha happening. Uh, but I think that's more of an amplifier than the core root of the problem. I, again, I think the core root of the problem lies in, in, in really understanding why we do what we do and what our boundaries are. And then having the trust in our employees to have the autonomy to operate within them. Everything else is kind of a reflection of that lack of clarity around our role and, and why we ultimately are doing what we do. Um, I wish I had the specific case study, um, but back when I worked at Spark Networks, uh, I wanna say once a month, we had a voluntary leadership group, which I think most, people in the organization could choose to attend where we would prior to the uh, the meeting would study um, some material, a case study, an, an article or whatnot. 
and then we would come to the the meeting to discuss our our findings and what we we thought and one of them that it sticks with me although i the details are fuzzy is this example of a company that ran on autonomy and um, the case study was really about this company being incredibly transparent and clear on on what their their morals and their ethics were and then allowing their employees to make decisions on their own that aligned with that and the reason why I think this resonated with us, because a big component of our business, we had a we had a call center supporting our customers, and we studied so many different examples of call centers. And I'm sure we've all seen it where you talk to a call center rep and you can tell they have zero zero autonomy, zero authority to do anything other than read a script. And there probably has been a few outliers in your experience where you've talked to someone in a call center where you're like, wait a minute, this person really is trying to understand my problem. And it's clear that they have some freedom to help me solve my solution. And it was that latter scenario we were studying and to understand how it works. And the CEO, CEO of the company said something like, um, I didn't have to do much other than to say, this is what we believe in. And I trust you to make decisions to support that model or that some, that set of beliefs. And it, it was such a strong statement to me and so simple yet powerful that really that is how you can build a scalable organization where you allow your employees to be autonomous, but you have a set of controls to make sure they're autonomous within the culture that you are trying to create in your company. Um, and it's always that, that example has always stuck with me. Yep. And Tim Ferriss has a section in his book, Four Hour Workweek. Because um, that's very similarly, that always stuck out to me about it, where, you know, he was talking about how he outsourced his call center for like one of the first products he had sold and had an e commerce site for. And, you know, he had found that there was constantly things being escalated and stuff that he's like, you know, when he started looking at it broadly, he's like, these are things that, could easily be solved by the call center rep. But when he dug deeper, he found like that they didn't have the autonomy and in fact had like a very low threshold for which they could help. I think it was like something like $25, anything over $25 to help make the customer happy. They had to get approval for, and he, he bumped it up and I can't remember the exact amount. It's been years since I read it. I want to say it was like maybe 75 to a hundred dollars he bumped up the threshold uh, to say like anything within this range to make sure you make this customer happy. And if you make them happy, odds are they're going to come back and purchase whether it's, they weren't happy with the product or there was a shipping issue, anything to help, you know, rectify the issue. And he said, you know, from his side, the escalation stopped customer customers were, were happy. He found that for most agents weren't going up to the maximum amount of a hundred dollars. Maybe it went up to like $50 was the average amount or whatever being used to make customers happy or the, 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 the normal amount and sales slowly peaked up because people were able to have their problems resolved very easily. And he goes like, when you really look back at it, that's what it was is, is giving them a bit more control over how to make a customer happy. And again, it seems so clear, but in, unless you can get, 
to a point where you can let go of this need to operate from a place of fear. And, and I think that often comes from a, a place of mistrust until you can get over that. It is so difficult to adopt this, but having seen it work in numerous places, it just seems like a no brainer and everybody wins in the scenario scenario. The employees are happier. I mean, as an employee, just think how amazing um, it must make you feel to have that trust that I have the, these, these bounds that I can work in and take care of the clients. And, you know, they just, they have to feel so much more job satisfaction and feel like they're a much more trusted member of the team. So their, their happiness goes up and when their happiness goes up and they feel like they have the ability to help the company, they're much more willing to go out of their way to do things that is going to benefit the company. Right. And the, the company sees huge benefits from that, which is counter to what they see today, where there's a lot of frustration. They're like, well, why isn't this employee like doing more? It's like, well, you're 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 stifling any kind of motivation that they would have to do more. So you want them to do more, but you're not giving them an environment where they feel good to do more. And the customer wins. Right. Um, just again, keeping with the call center example, it is such a night and day difference in experience as a customer when you're dealing with an agent that, you know, is trusted by the company to take care of you versus when you're dealing with an agent that, you know, they have zero autonomy and all they can do is follow a script. It's night and day difference. The, the positivity of that experience that you're having with that company. So everyone wins in that scenario yet it's so hard for most companies to adopt because the problem of operating from a place of mistrust is never recognized and never, um, never solved for. So, so we've been talking about employers, you know, making sure that employees know what it means within the company to, to be innovative or be creative, bring new ideas to the table, challenge the corporate norms. Um, what can, you know, employees do? Because it, it is, it is sometimes like walking a tightrope, um, especially trying to figure out like if the, if the company that you're working for isn't proactive in this, trying to find out where, where your boundaries are again, be, you know, without easily being labeled as, as a troublemaker. Again, I think it comes down to what your, what your motivation is and, and what your focus is. Um, and, and, and I'm going to keep coming back to this concept of having clarity around the bounds that we work in. That to me is where this needs to be addressed because as a company, if we've said, this is, this is what we believe in. This is our purpose. This is our role. This is, these are our beliefs. If you've set that and people are operating outside of that, yeah, it, it is a problem. Right. And, and I think it's very healthy and okay to have that conversation of this is, this is not in alignment with who we are. It's, it's when that happens within a set of boundaries where it's not clearly defined is where the, the problem is. And, and I, and again, I think it's, it's all too unfortunate that employees that truly do want to do what's best for the company truly do want to do what's best for the customer are labeled as troublemakers not because what they're doing is uh, is creating negative experiences, but what they're doing 
doesn't have a set of boundaries to align it against to say, are they operating within uh, what we want to be creating, the experiences we want to be creating? And, and that's really unfortunate because I think many times those, those employees are uh, unfairly labeled as such. When the problem isn't the employee, the problem is the leadership has failed to define the playground that, that we're playing on. And, and, and to go back to, was it last week where we started to uh, layer in some sports analogies? You know, you can look at this from a, a, a sports lens. So, you know, you can say, let's say we're, 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 we have an NBA basketball team. There's a set of boundaries that define this is how the game works. But within that, a coach has the ability to say, here's the game plan and you're going to be 100% stringent to what I dictate. Or a coach can say, here's my goal and here's here's our beliefs as a team. I'm going to give you autonomy to operate within that as long as you don't violate kind of our, our beliefs. Um there's still, there's still boundaries, right? Like you can't, you can't, you can't play basketball like an NFL player. You can't go and tackle people and hold and throw them to the ground. So there's, there's always a set of boundaries that you have to operate within and you can be incredibly creative within that. But if you don't understand what those boundaries are, then I can imagine, I can't imagine how incredibly difficult it would be for an employee to push those boundaries because if they do, you never know. Like I have no idea where the boundary is. So one day I could be, I could be labeled a superstar for being creative and thinking outside the box. And the next day I could be labeled, um, as, as, as a, uh, reckless bull in a China shop that doesn't care and nothing has changed, but I have no idea that I just stepped over an imaginary line that no one told me ever existed. Now you made me think of something using, using the, the sports analogy. Um, and by the way, we are going to have a series of episodes coming up soon on, uh, what the business world can learn from, from sports. Uh, that being said, you know, we, we've talked so far about maybe people who are creative and cause trouble when they don't necessarily want to, but when does an employee or I keep saying employee, but like, when does a person as part of an organization cross that line and become like a true troublemaker? within an organization? Uh, again, I, I'm going to go back to like a shared set of beliefs. And when we, we, um, there's a few episodes ago where we really started to dive into some of the, uh, components of the cowboy code. And thank you for sending me the book, by the way. Um, once employees start going outside that shared set of beliefs is when it becomes problematic. And I think that's true for, for every organization. And again, if we haven't as a leadership team done a good enough job of helping the organization understand what those shared set of beliefs are, then that failure of people stepping outside of that is on us. If we've done a good enough job in, in clearly defining what those shared beliefs are, then the employee has to share in that blame of stepping outside those bounds. And, and really this starts, this needs to start, as far upstream as possible. And back to your, back to your question or statement around, you know, how much of this is positioning or kind of bravado and hiring and trying to impress. Yeah. I think that that 
unfortunately sets some misaligned expectations from the very beginning. You said one thing, now I'm hired and now you're saying something else. And, and so I really think the onus needs to be on recruiters and organizations to be much more transparent in who they really are and be comfortable in being transparent in what they are and what they believe in. And that's scary for organizations because they think, you know, it's going to turn people off and it does, but it also attracts people where they're in alignment with what you do, your purpose, your reason for existing. And so I, I really think this needs to start before employees are ever hired. This needs to start in how companies talk about what they do, why they do it, their role in the world. And it needs to continue through the hiring process. Get rid of this idea that you're trying to, you know, put on a, what is the term, dog and pony show uh, to try to convince employees that you're the right place. Just be who you are. Be authentic. And, and will it turn people off? Yeah. But it's going to turn the people off that are not a good fit for how you operate. So why not figure that out before you even hire them? Because if you're going to do this, you called it a bait and switch, you're setting everybody up for failure because you're saying one thing, you bring an employee onto the team, and now you hold them to a completely different standard than you set publicly and through the hiring process. And that's 100% on leadership. So one more thing to start start wrapping us up on you know for this topic and i think we we may have touched on it briefly in the beginning and i know we we may we've touched on it here and there you know over over the course of this podcast but the the thing that everybody has heard this is the way we've always done it and you know that in this case being used as a tool to you know prevent change you know squash new ideas or what, whatever. Why is that something people trot out? It's comfortable. Right. I mean, yeah. but by, by nature, um, humans are, um, I, I don't want to say we reject change, but change makes us uncomfortable. It, it puts us in a, in a spot where we're uneasy. And so if we can, try to keep things the way they always are, then we at least kind of trick ourselves mentally to feel like we're more comfortable. But it, it's so far from reality that if we buy into that notion, we're, we're setting ourselves up to go down a path that is 100% of the time going to end in failure. And, you know, we can abstract this to the larger um, kind of business world, and then we can bring it down to how companies think about how they manage their teams. Um, but we see this all the time as industries change. You know, right now we're in this kind of slowly moving pivot away from um, being a manufacturing giant to being um, having industries of knowledge and of the brain. Um, and and yet you have people clinging onto it. And not only people, you know, here in Utah, we have a lot of rural communities that are built around mining and gas production and um, they want to cling to the way it's always been, you know, like this is the way it's always been, you know, the boys go to work in the oil field and we have this quaint main street and we want to cling on to that. I'm like, but you can't because everything is always changing in, in Buddhism. There's a concept that the only, the only thing that is consistent is impermanence. 
meaning nothing is permanent. Everything is always in a constant state of change. And, and, and we're fooling ourselves to think that we can cling on to the status quo because it's just, it's, it's, it's a phantom. It's a ghost. It's, it's not really there. Everything is constantly changing, but again, it's our default state because change is, is scary to us. Um, but the healthiest organizations, the healthiest people realize that none of this is permanent. Things are constantly changing and I have to be open to that change in order to move. See, she agrees. You're on mute. Yeah. So the dog scared the crap out of me. Cause just as that's happening, this little spider starts to dangle in front of me. There we the, go. The dog, the dog sensed the spider. Yeah. It, 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 the, the timing couldn't have been better. Cause he, she barked the spiders here right in front of me. It's like, Oh shit. <laughs> which, which by the way, brings up something that I've started to see talk about more and more on social media and something that we've talked about we talked about oh 18 months or so ago that maybe may may be worth revisiting on the podcast is this you know speaking of trying to keep things the way they are um is this need or belief that we have to keep a sterile work environment remotely and the stress and anguish that people go through trying to keep the kids quiet or the background perfect or and it's, it's just not healthy. And in fact, to me, what makes people feel more human and, and more relatable is when they let that guard down and, you know, you see the kids run through the background. You see that their background isn't, you know, this nicely curated bookshelf. Like to me, that's the amazing part of it. But anyway, it, it, it's funny you bring that up because, you know, I, I, my office is, is in the finished basement, but walking through the finished basement is to the back door where the cars are. So this morning I'm on the phone with Hila as my wife and son are leaving to go to my in-laws house for, for a visit. And as he's walking by, he yells real loud, bye daddy. So of course, you know, over here's that. And then about an hour ago, I was, was interviewing somebody uh, just as they got home and he runs in, hi daddy. And, 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 and she starts laughing uh, on the other hand, I'm like, I'm sorry, my wife and son just got home. She goes, No, 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 it's awesome. Yeah, um, it really is. It really you is. You know, awesome. it, it, it's it, it's funny because I do. I remember when I first started working remote 100. Like, I wanted to make sure the background there was no background noise. You know, I, I don't. You know, and um, we were we were at my in laws' shore house, and and at the time. Uh, my wife and my in-laws were playing, paying a local landscaper to come and trim the lawn like once every other week. Um, and I'm on the phone with a client and they show up, the windows are open. So the lawnmower's going and here I am with my laptop running to different spots in the house. So you wouldn't hear over here, the lawn work being done outside. It's stressful, now, right? This point, it is. Cool. It is. And... And you know what? Like I, I've gotten comfortable you, with you it. You just got to roll with it. And I do think it would be a fun future discussion. I was on, I was on a call and, and apologize. We're going on a completely different tangent here, but um, we'll, we'll circle it back. I was on a call with uh, a client a couple weeks ago and uh, she lives in a condo in Miami and um, they were doing some maintenance on, on the building and, and she's like, can you hear that hammering? I'm like, faintly every now and then. But she was so 
focused on the noise they were making and trying to mute and unmute that she wasn't present in the conversation. Like, I'm like, we might as well reschedule this call because you can't focus on the conversation because you're so worried about me hearing a little hammer noise in the background. Like, let it go. It doesn't matter. This is, this is fine. This is, you know, we're not, we're not working in sterile labs here. Like it's assumed that stuff happens um, all the time. And it's weird because it happens all the time in the office. Yet in the office, we feel more comfortable with there being office noise, but we're uncomfortable with there being home noise. Well, so it, you actually gave me a great way to, to to kind of tie this all up in a bow is one of the things I said to kind of intro the topic is, is it goes back to our school days and, um, you know, with, with school kind of like everybody stand in line, everybody get in line, everybody sit at their desks and it's quiet time. It's this. And now granted, you know, you need some of that to manage a room full of children, but that way too is, I get you know it's it's something where we're trained from those early days that if we're not in a formal environment with these formal rules of everybody sits in their place, the places are all in line and and everybody's quiet and and, and whatnot that we're not actually being productive, we're not learning, we're not we're not doing our work, whatever that is. I agree. And again, that, that concept of compliance over, override, but again, that's not how the real world, it's, it's messy. It's noisy. It's everybody operates in different ways. And we need to get outside of that, that sense of trying to curate this environment that we think that everyone needs to be in to, to work. You know, we need to, we need to face a new reality of the way things are. So, yeah. Anyway, oh, this was fun. Yeah, it's a, a good, this was a, a lot good, of fun, a good conversation. And by the way, and, and and I don't want to overload him, but and I don't know why he's so popular, but people every once in a while are pinging me. So is John coming back? Is John going to make? Yeah, I got to talk to him about podcast? that so we can start coordinating schedules. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta please the fans that give them yeah. what they want. I guess. Yeah, so I, I do need to talk to him about that and coordinate his, you know time uh, for him as well. That'd be fun. Cool. Would be fun. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap up for now and talk to everybody later. See you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.